So in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4 and verse 1, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open. Imagine you're walking down this old hallway and there's just nobody there but you. Door after door after door. And maybe they have little brass nameplates on these doors, this and that and this and that. And you come to one door and it says, heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd do one of these things and I'd be jiggling on that door. I want to know what's on the other side. Had that door been shut, had that door been locked, we wouldn't know. But the door is standing open. And the God of heaven says, come up here. I want to show you what's behind here. And what I want to do with you this evening is look at three simple lessons from the book of Revelation and other places that teach us about what we see in heaven. Your eyes and my eyes have seen marvelous things in our lifetime. I can only imagine what it would be like to be one of those astronauts who stood on the moon and you look back at planet Earth. Every human being's there, but I'm here. What you would have seen. I wonder what it's like to be a heart surgeon and you open up that chest and you see a beating heart right there. For me, I'd pass out on the floor. I know how I'd be, but, but what that would look like. To look into the eyes of a newborn baby. Maybe some of you remember the first time after your marriage you wrote your name, your new name. I am now Mrs. and whatever that was. Maybe you've had your name in a book before. And you just looked at that. There is my name in this book. How impressive that would be. I have been to many, many great museums in my life. God has blessed me. I've seen marvelous treasures throughout the world. I've been to the Smithsonian Museum. I've been to the British Museum. I've been to the Israeli Museum. I've been to the Vatican Museum. I've seen things that's just unbelievable. But of all the things our eyes can see, from mountains, the seashores, the sunsets, the rainbows, to look behind that open door and to see heaven, God's house. That's what's most spectacular about all these things. And you and I, and, and our brother here has helped us so much this evening, but there are so many wonderful, wonderful songs in our songbook about heaven. Sing to me of heaven. Won't it be wonderful there where the roses never fade? When we all get to heaven, beyond the sunset, we're marching to Zion. This world is not my home. In the sweet by and by, no tears in heaven higher ground and over and over all those songs do is they express for us this wonderful concept of what heaven it really is and so when he says to come up here he wants us to see through words what is in heaven in the book of colossians in chapter 3 the bible says there that the lord is telling through the apostle paul to set your mind on things above that idea of setting is like an anchor holding firm you're not just thinking about once in a while you have planted your mind upon those things and that's what stands out so much with that. So now with your permission, let's take our Bibles and let's just read Revelation chapter 4. And let's see what's behind that door. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. 
He who was sitting on the throne was like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. There were around the throne 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of the fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it was, a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face of that like a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things and because of thy will they existed and they were created. Let's begin first of all in our lesson this evening and talk about 10 things you need to know about heaven. And these are just some simple things that you need to appreciate. We're going to run through some passages to kind of illustrate this. And the first thing we need to appreciate is that heaven is a real place. Heaven is not a happy thought. You know, when I'm sad, when I'm depressed, I just go to heaven. No, that's a mental thing. What we're talking about is a very real place. Take your Bible and let's just look at one book in particular, the book of Matthew. On the screen is chapter 6, but let's begin in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and let's just run through several of these verses, and I want you to see and appreciate that where God is, is heaven, and heaven is a real place. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. And verse 16 of chapter 5, let your light shine before men in such a way that you may, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Chapter 6, which is on the screen, verse 9, in the prayer Jesus was teaching his disciples, pray then this way, our Father who art in heaven. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is a real place. Chapter 10 of Matthew, if you will, Matthew chapter 10, Notice verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 50. Matthew chapter 12, 50. 50. For whoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And then in chapter 16 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 17, there the Bible says, and Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is God. And appreciate that. Now, if I came to your homes, and I just walked through your house, five minutes I could tell you what's important to you. I could look at what's on the wall. I can see what's in your whatnot shelf. 
I can see what you have saved here and there. And I can say, you know what? This family likes sports because they got autographed baseballs here. Or this family likes this. This family likes that. I was at home one time of a retired school teacher. In her front room, she had these, all these old school desks. And I think she could just ring the bell and take the roll right there. I've been in homes where people had quilts on the wall. Guess what? They were interested in quilts. You come to my house, go to my office, you're going to find all kinds of autographed baseballs. Why? Because that is important to me. Where are you going to find in heaven? God. It's his home. And that's what we're going to see. Now, before we leave this, go with me to chapter 25 of Matthew. Matthew 25. And let's look at verse 46. Matthew 25, verse 46. Matthew 25, 46. These, Jesus says, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In one sentence, Jesus tells us that there's punishment and there's life. In one sentence, there's heaven and there's hell. We have a whole religious community today. We have famous preachers who write books or on all kinds of TV shows that never mention the word hell. One preacher said, if I ever said the word hell, my congregation would pass out. Another famous preacher said, I haven't said the word hell in a sermon in the last 25 years. Jesus said more about hell than he did heaven. And in this sentence... If there is no hell, there is no heaven. If there is a heaven, there's a hell. They're united together in one sentence. We need to appreciate that as we kind of go on here. Number two, as we think something you need to know about heaven, heaven is not like earth. And again, how many times do we hear this at funerals? How many times do we get the idea that what heaven is is a fantasy island? Anything you want to do, it's in heaven. So you like little puppy dogs? You're going to have puppy dogs in heaven. You like chocolate fountains? There'll be chocolate fountains in heaven. I was at a funeral one time, and this woman used to fish. And the preacher says, I can see her right now up on the banks of heaven putting a worm on the hook with the old Peter. You ain't fishing in heaven. You're not doing those things. There's no roller coasters in heaven. There's none of those. That's earth. And when we start thinking that, we're trying to take earth up there, and we're making it very selfish. You like golf, so you golf in heaven and your ball never goes into the sand trap. You like to shop, you got the mall of heaven with unlimited credit. And on and on we dream. Won't it be great to be up there? You don't find that in the Bible. You just don't find that in the Bible. And on the screen we have Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. I had an aunt who died many, many years ago. She owned a little pizzeria. And the preacher said in her funeral that she was making the pizza in heaven. There's not going to be any pizza in heaven. And so when we start thinking this carnal, physical, selfish idea, what we're doing is taking earth and putting it up there. You remember our verse in Revelation 4, verse 1. What did he say? Come up here. He didn't say, I'm coming down there. I come down there, and you know what heaven's like? You ever been to Disney? It's going to be just like that. No, he didn't do that. Hey, come over here. I'm coming down to your place, and we're going to the ocean. You know what heaven is? It's like this ocean. No, he didn't. He said, come up here, because there's nothing here like up there. And so in Revelation 21, and in verse 4, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's going to no longer be any death. There's no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. 
Heaven isn't about doing whatever I want to do. It's about being with God. Now, let me say this. If God doesn't move the needle of your radar, if you're not really that interested in God, you most likely won't be interested in heaven, and there's a great chance you're not going to make it to heaven. Because what heaven is about is not, I get all the fun stuff I never got on earth. What heaven is about is God. And God doesn't do anything to me, then heaven is going to be a place I'm not going to be very comfortable with whatsoever. Number three, near-death experiences are not accurate. This is the flavor of the month in religious bookstores. Somebody dies, they go up to heaven for 15 minutes, they come back on planet earth, and they write a book. Some of them have been made into movies, such as the Burple story. Little boy who died, went to heaven, came back, wrote a book, and then it became a movie. But you know what? This is not the first one. Every single one of these books tell the same story over and over. And that is somebody died, somebody went to heaven, and they came back, and here's the story. And there's some issues with that. And one of the main issues we're going to talk about here as we think about this is what they say is inconsistent. You would think if they all went up to heaven to one place, they would see the same thing. But they don't. One person talked about in one of these books that I read that the little pictures he drew his mama when he was three years old, those little stick figure pictures, somehow they were in heaven. Another one talked about his pet that died 40 years ago. His little doggy was up in heaven. Someone else talked about seeing race cars up in heaven. Someone else talked about this. And their stories aren't the same. You would think if they all saw the same thing, they'd write the same thing. But they don't. A second problem is there's very little emphasis on God. It's all about the fun. It's all about what they saw. It's all about the joys of themselves, all the selfishness. Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 1, when he saw this vision of God sitting on the throne, exhausted, lofty, was a train of his robe filling the temple. His next verse, would, he would emphasize how he felt so unworthy because his eyes had seen the Lord. We also remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, heard things in paradise, the third heaven, and was not allowed to repeat that. Chapter 12, verse 4. He was called up into paradise. Other translations say the third heaven. And the reason why they say the three heavens, that's how the Jews saw that. Where the birds are, what we call the sky, that's heaven one. Where the stars are, that's heaven two for the Jews. Where God is, that's the third heaven. So Paul was called up to paradise or the third heaven, he says. And he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And so Paul did not come down to planet Earth here and say, this is what I saw. I'm going to write a special book just about my experiences. Later on, they'll make a movie about that. If an apostle is not allowed to tell us what he saw, how come everyone else is? Isn't that kind of funny? And something else we see. As we go on here. Paul had a time when he was nearly killed. He was stoned pulled out of the city. And in Acts 14, at the end of verse 19, in verse uh, 20, it says, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But when his disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city, and not one time did he tell us what it was like. I saw a bright light at the end of the tunnel. He didn't say that. I saw angels floating around. He doesn't say that. 
What did you see? He never tells us. And more important than that, the emphasis in the New Testament is that God speaks through Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, in these last days, God speaks to us through Jesus. Not human experiences, not dreams, not I think I went to heaven, here's what I saw. And a lot of that contradicts the Bible. And we need to see that we stick with someone who knows it because he is there and that's God. Don't put your confidence in these books that are written all the time by these things. There's no credibility, there's no consistency, and they're not saying what God says. And so again, it reminds us that these things simply are not so. Number four, not everyone goes to heaven. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this is a difficult subject. This is something that we sometimes just don't want to say. But our honesty and truthfulness, we have to say this. And so Jesus would remind us in Matthew chapter 7, and begin at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you're an underliner, that's what you underline. Who goes to heaven? The one who does the will of my Father. What is the will of the Father? It is the Bible. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just because a police officer dies in service does not mean he goes to heaven. Just because a firefighter gives his life trying to save somebody does not mean he goes to heaven. Just because a soldier overseas dies keeping our freedom free does not mean he goes to heaven. Just because that sweet old lady down the street that makes cookies for all the kids and she's sweet as she can be doesn't mean she goes to heaven. Who goes to heaven? He who does the will of my Father. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. And right here, right there, I need to ask myself, am I doing the will of my Father? I want to go to heaven. Am I doing those things? And again, it reminds us how many times at a funeral, how many times, doesn't matter whether the guy ever went to services or not, doesn't matter whether he opened the Bible or not, somehow everyone is preached into heaven. Love the story of this man. He was just a mean old guy, just a grouch, mean to his family, mean to his wife. He died, he was having his funeral, and the preacher was just talking about what a great guy he was, what he was. And so the widow punched one of the sons and said, go on up there and see if that's your day in that casket. You know? And we need to realize it doesn't matter what the preacher says at the funeral. The preacher doesn't put you in heaven. The church doesn't put you in heaven. The God does by your choices. And so not everybody is going to go to heaven. Just because you sit in a church house doesn't mean you're going to heaven. We have to do the will of our Father. The next point. We do not become angels. We hear this a lot when there's a death of a child. A little child dies, and now he has become an angel. And we're supposed to feel real comforted by that. We're supposed to say, oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. We like that. But we need to understand Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for God's creation. We need to understand that angels are not made in the image of God, that we are made in the image of God. Becoming an angel, or angel is not a compliment. And the Bible never says we become angels. 
Number six, we will recognize each other in heaven. We will. We will. Let me just throw a couple of verses on there. We know about the rich man Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, but go with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we're going to come back to chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in verse 17, as Paul is talking about the death of Christians, he says in verse 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. How will we know we're with them if we don't know who the with them is? You know? It means you kind of know each other, doesn't it? Look in chapter 2 and verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope, our joy, or crown, or expectation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? You will be there. We will recognize you. You ever been in big crowds? Man, I've been in some big crowds. I've been to the Indianapolis 500. I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to Paul McCartney concerts. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And we're all leaving. We're all just kind of like that. And we're just a whole bunch of strangers. Half of them smell. Some of them are just weird. You know, you're like, is that heaven? Is that what you're looking forward to? Just being with a bunch of strangers? Don't know you. Don't know you. How long are we going to be up here? Forever? That's thrilling, isn't it? No. We're going to be in the fellowship. We're going to be with each other. And we're going to be with people that are already over there. People like your moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, gospel preachers and shepherds who have helped you stay with Jesus. You'll be people that you maybe have never met, but you've always heard about. There may be people on the other side of this planet you never got to meet, but they walk with Jesus. Who's going to be up there? It's going to be God's people, and we'll recognize that. Number seven, as we think about this, we will be in a resurrected state. We'll be in a resurrected state. Paul answers this question in 1 Corinthians 15, what will we look like? What will we be like? And he, he addresses that very plainly for us. He says, first of all, in chapter 15, verse 51, as he's addressing this idea, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be, ra be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, he says. Verse 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. Up above here in verse 42, he says it this way. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. I'm, will I need my glasses? Um, I, I got an artificial hip. Does that come with me? What about my false teeth? Now I walk with a cane. Do I need that? And what Paul's saying is this is the outside, this is the physical. What's going to be raised is going to look different. We're getting real close, especially where I live, to the planting season. And you take this little bitty black seed, doesn't look like much, and you stick it in the soil, and you water it, and you wait, and up comes something a little bit green. And it grows taller and taller, and a beautiful flower comes out. And that beautiful flower didn't look anything like that little black seed. You see, we're going to be raised, but be raised differently. And we'll look differently. And so, no, you don't need your false teeth. You don't need your glasses. You don't need your hearing aids. All that stuff is here, and it will stay here. 
Number eight, as we think about this, time stops. We talked about time last night. Time belongs to earth. God made the sun, God made the stars for the sake of time. Seasons and years, Genesis 1.14 says, eternity means the no beginning and no end. We will not age, we won't change, things will not wear out, we will not get outdated. You won't need 201 version, you won't need a new improvement. We sing as we did last night, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. You ever notice, you and I always have to go somewhere. In just a little bit, we're going to be done here, and you have to go somewhere. You're not going to stay here all night. You've got to go somewhere. Go to bed. You'll get up tomorrow. You've got to go somewhere. You've got to go to school. You've got to go to work. You've got to go somewhere. After that, you've got to go somewhere. You've got to go to the doctor's appointment. You've got to go to the grocery store. You've got to go. We're always going someplace, and we're never at the end of the destination. I go here for now, but then I have to go over here later, and I have to go over here later. When you get to heaven, that's it. There's no more other place to go. We're going to say, God, this is awesome. This is cool. But, but God, I've got another appointment. No, you don't. God, i got to go somewhere else. No, you don't. This is the end of the journey. It doesn't end in the cemetery. It ends in the face of God. Time stops. And then we will not be tempted anymore. God's going to deal with the devil. And he has a place for him. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, the devil is going to be assigned to the second death. Sometimes you see these little cartoons where it looks like the devil's kind of in a red with a pitchfork and he's kind of jabbing people in hell. We get the idea that the devil's in charge of hell and God's in charge of heaven. That's not the way it is. God's in charge of both places. And hell is a sign for the devil and for his punishment. And so we won't be tempted. So one of the things I believe we lose is free will. We have free will now. If you want to get up and walk out, you can walk out right now. If you want to just get out your phone and play Angry Birds right now, you got free will. You can do whatever you want to do. You want to cuss God, you can cuss God. You want to praise God, you can praise God. But what if I'm up there about 4,000 years and everyone's running to sing? And old Tim's leading singing this morning. Somehow I stub my toe and I say a bad word. And all the red lights go off in the heaven. And all the lights turn to me. Will I get kicked out? No. Because you won't say bad words in heaven. What if they're having singing and Mr. Tim's leading and I oversleep? Number one, you're not going to be sleeping. And number two, you won't do that. You will not have that concept. Here we make choices, good and bad. Here we have to make decisions, right and wrong. In heaven, that atmosphere changes. We'll be in the presence of God forever. And then we won't miss our old lives. I want you to look at uh, this passage here, for, uh, book of Philippians chapter 1, and then we're going to look at a verse just right after that. Philippians 1, verse 21, and then also verse 23. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and also verse 23. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I, verse 23, am hard-pressed from both directions, having desired to part to be with Christ, for that is much better. What does it mean to depart and be with Christ? There wasn't a bus showing up with a big sign on it going to heaven. To depart and go with Christ meant you had to die. I would rather die and be with Jesus than stay here. Think you could say that? Paul could say that. 
And you're not going to miss your life. You're not going to think, well, you know what? I sure, I sure miss being on earth. I just miss taking my medicine every day. I miss taking the dog out. I miss this. I, no, you're not. Once you're in heaven, I think you're going to be amazed that you're there. Just amazed. When I first moved to Kansas City, we had a professional baseball player, Freddie Patek, was a member of the church. We also had one of our shepherds was a multimillionaire. And they took me golfing within the first week I was there. And we went to this very exclusive country club. And after a round of golf, we're sitting in this country club, just, just relaxing. And I'm looking around at just beautiful place. And one of those reality moments hit me. I realized I could never, ever, ever, ever afford this. And here I am sitting with a famous baseball player and a multimillionaire. And who's the third wheel? Real obvious. And I just kind of shut down. And they said, well, why aren't you engaged in conversations? Is there a problem? And I said, I don't fit in here. And they said, you fit here because we invited you here. And I believe that a little bit that's how we're going to feel when we get to heaven. We're going to look around and say, you know the Timothy I read about? There is Timothy. The Timothy. There is Noah. Good old Noah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're still together. There they are. And we're going to look at all that. And we're going to say, you know what? They're going to start taking roll call and they're going to say, how did you get in here? And Jesus is going to say, because I invited you. Not because you're perfect. Not because you did everything right. But by the grace of God, I invited you in here. Now, having said that, we got three things we got to go real quickly on now. What did John see behind that door? Number one, John stood in the presence of God. That's what Revelation 4 talks about. When he looks behind that door, the very first thing he sees is him who's sitting upon the throne. We have spent a lifetime praying to God, talking about God, reading God's book, thanking God, praising God, bowing our heads to God. But now we get to be in his presence once and for all. You got your Bible? Look in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 People often ask me my favorite verse, and it changes about every hour. But this one always is a steady for me, day or night. This is a steady. Revelation 22 and verse 4, where there the Bible says, and they shall see his face. Can you imagine that? I do a lot of weddings. I got about three coming up here pretty soon. And one of my favorite parts of the wedding, you got all the guys up here and all the girls up there, and the bride and her daddy are back there. And she just stands there for a moment. And I just loved looking at that groom for the first time because he's just looking at her. What he sees. What will you see when you look in the eyes of God? Turn your Bible, if you will, to John 14. A little side lesson here I've got to give to you real quickly here. John 14, verse 2 and verse 3. John 14, verse 2 and verse 3. Here it says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The old King James Version says, in my father's house are many mansions. And I have to confess, for years and years, I misunderstood this passage. I had the idea, well, Ricky has his mansion over here, about five acres, a pond, a little fence around it. Jordan has his little mansion over here, and he has his little five acres and a little fence around it. I've got mine over here. You've got yours over here. That's just a good thought. When my wife and I were first married, I thought she had money, and she thought I had money. 
We neither had money. And when we lived on the north side of Indianapolis, I used to drive around, and we'd look at these big, big mansions on the north side of Indianapolis. And I'd say, honey, when I get to heaven, go just like that. We'd drive around a little bit farther, and she'd see a sweet Victorian mansion. She said, that's going to be mine when I get to heaven. And for years and years, that's what I thought. That's not what this is saying. Because the problem with that is we're all separated. You're here, you're here, you're here. We've got five acres between all. That's no fellowship, is it? What this passage really means and what the word really means, in my father's house are many rooms. And I believe there's at least three rooms that I know of. The first room, there's a little door back there, but there's a room behind that. That's your mother's womb. You're alive. You're a person. In spite of what society and culture wants to say. And then you go through a door called birth. And you're in this room. We call this life. And then you go through another door. And we call that door death. And then you're on the other side. You're just in the other room. And all death is is just the opposite of birth. It takes birth to get you into this room. It takes death to get you into that room. And all death is is just an ugly door. That's all it is. And I want you to know, brethren, we get fixated on that door. Tragedy strikes this congregation. It starts on the Sunday morning. Oh, Sister Smith, 780 years old, she has finally died. What will we do? We'll be rejoicing. She got to go through that door and watch on the other side of that door is Jesus. It's everything we want. Now, you can't get there unless you go through that door. And that's all it is. It's just a door. It's just a door. And so just as God is in that room, God is in this room, God is in that room. All you're doing is switching rooms. That's all it is. And when you understand that, it helps you appreciate these things so much. Now in Revelation chapter 22, 21 rather, and verse 22, it talks about there is no temple in heaven. And when we think about that ancient temple, there was a courtyard for women. That's as far as the women could go. There was a courtyard for Gentiles. That's as far as they could go. The male Jew could go a little bit farther. There was a place for the Levites. There was a place for the priests. And then the most high priest, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But when he says there is no temple there, there is no sea there, what it means there's no separation. Let's just say all you Americans are over here. All you folks from the 13th century over here, we're all going to be together in the presence of God. Number two, John saw that he stood in the midst of the best people on the face of the earth. The greatest people are God's people. And God's people have walked, they've endured, they've challenged, they've fought, they've lived as God wants them to be. And so in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, John starts seeing this grand multitude of people, beginning in verse 9, and says, In these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Stop there for a moment. You remember back in the book of Matthew when Jesus said, The way to destruction is broad, there's a lot of people on that, but the way to the righteousness or heaven is straight and narrow, and there are few people on that. I think we get the idea sometimes when they get to heaven, there's going to be 12 people. 
We hope this thing is going to be okay, but we'll do our best. Here, I saw a number I could not count. He could count seven churches. He could count a thousand-year reign. The number 144,000 comes up in this book. So this is a number so big, he couldn't count. And where are they? They're from all places. People's tongues stand before the throne, before the lamb clothed and white branches were in their hand. And they shall cry out with a loud voice in salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving be, and honor be to, uh, and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders, verse 13, said to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. He said to me, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the people of God. These are the people whose names are going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. These are the people of God who have built their lives upon that rock, which is Jesus Christ. These are the people who have developed a character based upon God. These are the people who have been forgiven, and so they forgive. These are people who have been loved by God, so they love. These are the people of God, the mighty nation of God. That's who's going to be in heaven. Isn't it interesting when anybody famous dies, they're always pictured up in heaven. You get some famous rock and roll singers. They're playing and jamming up in heaven. You get some famous athletes. They're up in heaven. Everybody famous goes to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. And again, what John saw was the best people. And, and I think as we think about this, first of all, you may be surprised who's there, and you may be surprised who's not there. Before every funeral starts, we already have in our mind where that person is. That's just how it is. We just know. And we might be surprised. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, God's hall of fame, it's surprising to me to find Samson there. Jephthah. Hard to understand why they are there. But what's also missing is the very first man, Adam. The first high priest, Aaron, is not in Hebrews 11. The first king, Saul, is not in heaven. The first temple builder, Solomon, he's not in heaven. And so John was seeing people who had a story, a past, who needed forgiveness, who had tasted the wonderful grace of God. That's what's in heaven. And then finally, John stood in God's heavenly home. Come up here, he says. There's nothing that looks like heaven. There's nothing even close to heaven. And what we see here is a grand, grand picture of what heaven's all about. There's a scene from Alice in Wonderland when Alice says to the Chelsar cat, would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? And the cat responds, that depends a good deal on where you want to go. And Alice says, I don't much care where. And then the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. If you're serious about going to heaven, there is a way. And you have to follow that. And if you really don't care, you'll just do whatever you want to do, and that will take you anywhere. I want to tell you one final story. I know you've heard this story from Don Truex. Don Truex tells the story all over the country. It is my story. It is about me. Okay? It is about me. But he tells it all over the country. And I know he's told it here, so I'm going to tell it to you accurately here, okay? So my wife and I, we have season tickets to the orchestra. 
Now, you have to understand, we go for different reasons. My wife studied classical piano. She's a great piano player. And when she goes, she's listening to themes and transitions and all those things. When I go, I'm wondering why this guy's violin is darker than that guy's violin. And then I wonder, why do they all have ugly black socks? It'd be cool to wear different colors. Now, we go for different reasons. And every once in a while, as they begin the season, they'll bring in somebody special, a special pianist, a special violinist, or a special conductor, just to kind of kick the season off. Several years ago, they brought in John Williams, the John Williams. Indiana Jones, Star Wars, E.T. He has more Oscars than any human being alive today. And so we were sitting row eight, dead center. And there's a piece from the movie Lincoln in which it begins with a single cello. Nicholas is his name. Don always gets it wrong. He calls her female. In fact, I got to meet him. We went to the concert last Friday. We parked right beside him. I've wanted to meet him all my life. He got out of the car. I said, you're my favorite person. I said, I want you to come to my house. My wife says, what are you going to talk about? I said, I don't know. But I just like Nicholas. So, so John Williams, about this close to Nicholas, doesn't even pick up his baton. He just looks over there and nods. And Nicholas starts playing all by himself. Very soon, the whole orchestra feels just beautiful. They get done, standing ovation. John Williams reaches out and just shakes Nicholas' hand. And right there, I saw something, a spiritual lesson. You see, when we go to the concerts before, it's always Mozart and Beethoven and Brahms. Those guys are all dead. They're all dead. John Williams is right here. He wrote it. He knows exactly every single note because he wrote every single note. He knows how fast, how slow, he knows everything. And there you are playing right before the master. And that's where it hit me. You see, you know what this is? We call it the Bible. But this is God's score. And when we play it exactly as it's written, it sounds just as God wants it to be. And so we look down, and we see a thriving, wonderful marriage. And God says, that's just the way I wrote that. We see a young gospel preacher just pouring his heart out and says, that's what preaching is. That's the way I wrote it. Here's a teenager, and he's doing his best to live for Jesus. And, and God's saying, it's right here. That's how I wrote it. You're following the score exactly as I wrote that. And when you and I follow God's masterpiece, the Bible, we end up, not in a cemetery, but in the face of God. There is no the end to our story. There's no this is it. We live on and on and on and on in the presence of God. And how are you going to get there? Is to take this masterpiece. Don't be adding more notes to it. Don't be changing it. Because you can't be better than the master who wrote this. But when you follow it exactly as he wrote this, it's going to take you to heaven where we want to be. Our old dear, dear friend D. Bowman ended so many of his sermons. If you missed heaven, you just missed it all. And you can say, well, you know what? I got so-and-so's autograph in my wall. But if I miss heaven, do you think that's going to matter? You know what? I have this many cars in my garage. It is awesome. But if you miss heaven, does that really matter? Is it going to matter? 
You know how many books I read in my life? You miss heaven, does that matter? You know how many countries I visited? You miss heaven, does that matter? You know how many languages I can speak? You miss heaven, does that matter? You may never leave this county. You may never finish college. You may never accomplish much as the world says that. But you are a son or a daughter of God if you follow the masterpiece of what God has written. And so that's our thoughts. We began what seems to me like a long time ago on Sunday morning. Life the way it was supposed to be. Life the way God intended it to be. And that's what he wrote here. And when he wrote this, this is how God wants you to live. This is how God wants you to live after your mate has passed away. This is how God wants you to worship. This is how God wants you to have the attitude. This is how God wants you to conduct yourself. He has laid it out all before us. The score is here. And you and I are God's grand musicians. And all we have to do is follow this. It gets us exactly where it should be. So as we wrap up tonight, and we wrap up this meeting, you ready to go? Ready to go to heaven? Preacher one time was talking about going to heaven. Little boys, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Every boy raised their hand but one. Little boy, don't you want to go to heaven? And little boy says, I thought you were taking a busload right now. Well, I wish he was. I wish he was. We won't go as a church. We won't go as Campbell Road now. Campbell Road, come on up here. Get in line, Campbell Road. Campbell Road right up here. We're going to stand right before the throne of God. It won't be that way. It won't be his family. One by one. One by one will stand before the throne of God. And that's scary. But when you have Jesus' blood, his grace, and the score of God, that's the hope we have. And that's why we need to do these things. Never been baptized? You need to do that. You're not walking as you should be. If today was your last day, and you said, you know what? Cross my fingers, get my four-leaf clover. I sure hope, hope, hope I'd go to heaven. That's no way to live. The Apostle Paul knew, I have fought, I have kept, I have finished. I know. I know. Do you. Won't you come? Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.